You did it. I did it. All right, right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Atkins Family Podcast. I am your host, Benjamin Atkins, and I'm accompanied by my lovely wife, Takia Atkins. And this is a live episode. We haven't done one of these in a while. All right. We're doing it for the first time because this is the first time in a long time where we've been able to go live during a decent hour. All right. <laughs> without Aubrey here to disturb the viewing experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening or viewing live on Facebook, uh, we already introduced ourselves, of course. I'm Benjamin and this is Takia. Yes. And this is the Atkins Family Podcast. We're talking about faith, life, and relationships. Today, we are going to be talking about a book we've been reading through called Marriage Be Hard. Mm-hmm. 12 Conversations to Keep You Laughing, Loving, and Learning with Your Partner. And this book was recently uh, released. It is written by Kevin Fredericks and Melissa Fredericks, commonly known as Kev on Stage and Mrs. Kev on Stage. Mm-hmm. And before we get into the book, let's get some housekeeping out the way. If you're listening, please share this stream on Facebook. And also, if you're listening on the recording afterwards on all your favorite streaming platforms, you can find us on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast from. You can find us on those platforms. And if you are listening on those platforms, please do us a favor of pretty, uh, pretty please, pretty please do us a favor. <laughs> Scroll up. Rate the podcast, like the podcast, follow the podcast. That helps get the podcast out to more viewers and more listeners. And of course, if you like what you hear, like the podcast on Facebook, like our Facebook page, Atkins Family. Of course, again, like our podcast, Atkins Family Podcast. If you are listening or viewing on Facebook and you do not know where to find our podcast Mm -hmm. or how to find our podcast, you can search it on your favorite audio streaming app. Just type in the Atkins family. It should pop up. Also, you can find us on Google. Type in the Atkins family podcast. And our podcast is hosted on Anchor. So you can type in anchor.fm slash the Atkins family. With all those formalities out of the way, the Mm -hmm. housekeeping. Mm -hmm. Takia, let's get into the subject at hand yeah let's do it if you are listening on facebook you can see the title this is episode 54 Mm. although we do not go live every episode we have been releasing episodes ever since october of 2020 yep so please once again listen if you like what you hear or listen if you don't like what you hear (laughs) and tell us how much you don't like in the comments right (laughs) but with that said Takiya and I just completed chapter three of this book, chapters one and two. I think I think we're pretty good. So today we're going to be talking about chapter three, which yep. is sex be hard, mm-hmm. marriage be hard, sex be hard. I think anybody and everybody who's ever been in a sexual relationship, and of course we're talking about in the confines of marriage, but those complications can still arise even if you're having premarital sex, which yeah. you should not be, but. That's another story for another day. We're talking about the confines of marriage. (laughs) This uh, chapter mainly hit on the expectations and problems or lack of knowledge Mm -hmm. surrounding sex and marriage. Ignorance. Ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. Ignorance. That's the, uh, the term I was looking for, but ignorance surrounding sex and marriage. And as we're reading through it, we highlighted a couple of things that we're talking about today. But before we get into any of the specific details, what was your overall thoughts and opinions about the chapter? That it was well needed. Um, And I like I also like the perspective that they came from, because you're going to hear that they talked about the purity culture. And so um, even so, I identified a lot with Melissa, but I also identified with Kevin, too. So it was. It was a pretty good... Um, it was a double whammy. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, the chapter was good, too. There were some things I agree with, some things I disagree with, or oh, at least yeah. I think they uh, they, the could have, they could have been more clear. Yeah, Because they, 
they followed up with some statements, but we'll get into those uh, as the podcast goes forward. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, just like the first two chapters, this book I can see being very helpful to somebody who has been in marriage for, you know, us going on four years to people who have 20 year veterans, especially for the people who are new to marriage as a whole. Mm-hmm. If you're in premarital counseling, if you're in a serious dating relationship and you guys are considering marriage as your ultimate goal, this is a book that I can uh I can't recommend yet, but as far as the first three chapters, <laughs> yeah, I can't recommend it. I haven't completed the book, right. but as far as the first three chapters, these things, uh, this book definitely has been helpful to spark some conversation. Oh, yeah. Get the ball rolling so Takiya and I can discuss some things that are going on in our marriage. And of course, sex is a very big part of marriage. So I'm glad that Kevin and Melissa touched on it. I think one of the things that stood out to me just off the top was the uh, explicit nature in which they didn't speak about sexual acts, but they spoke about how explicit the conversations needed to be yeah. in regards to sex and mm-hmm. how vague a lot of the advice that has, that is given specifically in the church and the church community is for newlyweds and people who are considering marriage. Exactly. And Takia, she always talks about it, how <laughs> we need to be more explicit more intentional about how we handle these conversations, how we talk to people who are considering marriage and how we talk to other married couples because sex is a taboo topic in the church a lot of the times and it shouldn't be that way. No, not at all. Especially since sex is such a huge part of, I would say the dysfunction um, in families and marriages and even just single people. (laughs) Sex is a huge part of, why we see a lot of dysfunction in the world. And it's just, I think it's such a pity that we don't speak about it unless we're telling people like just simply don't do it unless you're married. And so what that does is it leaves a generation or, or a people who have hormones. Um, you kind of leave them out to dry. Cause all you telling them is don't do it, but you're not telling them how to not do it. And then with married people, I think you set them up for a great experience, a great expectation for an experience that gets better over time, not you don't come out the gate like knowing how to do everything, like pumping and sweat, <laughs> pumping and sweat, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I think it's very, very important to really uh, have these conversations because they are a necessity. Yeah, and have these conversations not in vague terms either. No, like now, we got to talk- be straightforward. No, right. we're not going. You're not going get a play-by-play of what we do and how we do it, but uh, straightforward to straightforward and explicit to the point where you're not walking away scratching your head like what's acceptable, what's not, and also giving you uh, tools so that when you... Because I think a lot of times, too, you'll find that you've been doing stuff and it's not acceptable. <laughs> like, not at all. Or, or you didn't know the damage it was causing to your marriage, to your relationship. And so I think being very, very open about those things is going to help a lot of people married or about to get married, you know, all that. Yep. Married and unmarried alike definitely need to have healthy conversations surrounding sex. Sex in marriage is a very powerful tool to grow intimacy. Mm-hmm. And it also is a very powerful tool to destroy a marriage at the same time. Yeah. I think when it comes to talking about sex, one of the things we forget to mention is just how powerful it is for both ways, right? It says, the, you know, the Bible says the word is a double-edged sword. And with the creation of sex, uh, by God, sex is a double-edged sword, Ooh. right? It can cut both ways. So in instances where people are getting married unequipped to handle a proper sexual relationship or they've had sex outside of marriage and they built up bad practices, mm-hmm. They're having sex with multiple partners or even if they're having sex with the partner that they do eventually <laughs> marry. Hey, mom. <laughs> <Yep>. Hey, mom. <laughs> that can cause a lot of issues. So I'm glad Kevin and Melissa, they spoke about sex because, you know, I feel like if you're writing a book on marriage and you never talk about sex once. You're probably part of the problem. <laughs> because you avoided that conversation. <laughs> And the way we was very direct. The way we remove the stigma <laughs> about sex in marriage is to talk about sex in marriage. Yeah. And not to make it seem icky, not to make it seem like it's a bad thing because it's not. 
No. Uh, it's actually a bad thing if you're in a sexless marriage. Yeah. Uh, so in those situations, that's definitely something that we uh, need to talk about, which is what we'll do. So getting into some of the specifics about the chapter. Yeah. They open up the chapter talking about their sexual experience early on, not in marriage, but they talked about their sexual experience before marriage. As a matter of fact, they actually opened up the book talking about their sexual experience before marriage. And that is one of the themes that in every chapter they've always hit on sex because that is a uh, big uh, issue. You know, that's a hot issue. And it needs to be talked about. And in the Sex Be Hard chapter, they go into specifics about how they handle conversations surrounding sex, Mm -hmm. how they've managed to grow their sexual relationship, the pitfalls and uh, some of the uh, successes that they've had over their 18 year uh, relationship. So we'll start with one of the quotes and uh, the book uh, switches between speakers. So it'll state whether it's Melissa or Kevin. And in some instances, it doesn't actually explicitly state who's the speaker. So in those cases, it's like general information. It's just we'll just assume it's a general speaker. But this is uh, one of the quotes. So, as you know, the two of us are raised under heavy influence from the purity movement, which encourages young boys and girls to save themselves for marriage. To be sure. There was some good to this movement, particularly how it told young women that they were worth more than their bodies. Even though that message gets a little lost, the idea that you don't have to give your body away to get a man or keep him is a good one. It's viable for young women to understand that pressure to have sex is not a characteristic of a healthy relationship. Mm. Also, we appreciate the notion that God designed sex for marriage and family. And if done the right way, you can have a beautiful family blessed by God. The problem is the message warped into the idea that giving away your virginity, whether you were married or not, meant that you were not pure. And if you were not pure, your marriage was effectively doomed. Mm. So hearing that, Takiya, what was your first thoughts when you heard that? I was a lot. Um, but I think if I can back up a little bit, um, they were talking about the purity movement, which uh, I almost wanted to jump out of my skin because I had a purity ring. Um, I was a huge proponent of purity. Uh, and I thought it, so to my understanding, um, <clears throat> of course I grew up in church, so I knew you shouldn't have sex before you got married. Um, I took a purity class, an in-depth purity class, shout out to the Mount Chesapeake. Uh, I mean, when I say end up, I, they didn't miss anything. They, they, they didn't, they didn't patty cake anything. Everything was extremely explicit. Uh, consequences we, we saw, we, we heard what the consequences would be or could be. We also had people come in and talk about the consequences that they've experienced because of their life. I had this uh, dynamic experience in that room where um, they even allow. So I think when I took this class, I was in, uh, I think I was ninth, 10th, 10th grade, about 10th grade. Um, and so the last two nights were probably the most impactful where they made room for the fact that some of us had gotten this information too late and we had already committed some sexual sins. And so what we were able to do was write it on a piece of paper, private, very private, um, and put it in a shredder. And so they were talking about the forgiveness and the restoration that Jesus brings. And sometimes it's trapped in us because we are holding on to um, something. And so that night was probably one of the most powerful nights of my life. I think that was the first time I ever experienced like feeling Jesus for real, for real, uh, because um, sexual experiences started very early for me. Um, I was not uh, raped or molested or anything like that. But I will say, I, I think in my mind, there was an emphasis, an emphasis on sex, making everything better. Um, we grew up watching the stories. My grandma watched the stories. My mom watched the stories. And I, I mean, the stories is just a people just rolling around in the bed at, at, at the response to anything like, Oh, she cheated. Let's, let's have sex. Oh, he had a baby <laughs> with somebody. Let's have sex. And so I think for me, um, what it taught me, what what I didn't know it was teaching me was sex is the re- res- correct response in a relationship to anything that happens, which is probably why it really don't matter what's going on. I'm game for sex, probably. Like, So I think I carry that <laughs> mentality even to this day where he could probably be dying. I'm still probably thinking about sex. Um, That's crazy. On my deathbed. Yeah. 
And yeah, we ain't gonna get into that yet. But anyway, <laughs> um, but um, that was that was one of the sides that I got. But it, 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 the class, I was so overwhelmed with everything that the class taught me purity. And I was so pure until I got to college. Um, even in my relationships, I maintained a certain level of purity. But um, I will say, of course, I was, you know, pushing some uh, some. Uh, uh, what is it? Boundaries. There we go. I was, I was, I was pushing some boundaries. Um, but I was able to keep my virginity until I was like 20, which was huge for me because I tried, I tried so hard, but again, not having the right information for what do you do? Because like, okay, growing up in my mama's house, my mom always had a rule. And I think this is really what kept my virginity. It wasn't just her rule, but it was my belief in her rule that God was going to show her anything that I did. And so that covered me. And even my first year of college, it covered me because I was like, y'all don't want to be coming up in my room doing stuff. God is going to show my mom and I'm not going to be responsible to God <laughs> or my mom because then, and, and in my mind, I, a, a, a real reason I kept my purity was I wanted to stay in college. And I, and I thought like, if I started having sex in my college bed, God was going to cut the tuition off. Like, I won't go finish. Like that was, that was going to be his punishment to me. And then he was going to show my mom. And so, um, I think it wasn't about to my junior year. that I started having sex. And what got me to that place of being comfortable enough was to be honest, I wasn't as scared of my mama anymore. Um, and so I was like, well, God, you can show her. I don't care. What's she going to do? Fight me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And me and my Unpure. mom were so cool. Like we were so cool though that I knew if it turned out bad, I could I could go and talk to her. And yeah, so all that fear was gone. Started having sex, and honestly, I I had trouble reconciling with the fact that I was not a virgin anymore. Like I'd be walking around, with people be like you a virgin? I'm like yeah. And my friend would be like, yeah, I know we don't tell everybody, you know, like if we're a virgin or not. But you said that like you believe that you're still actually a virgin. I was like, dang, I'm not. Because I just, I mean, and it was so much a part of my identity that I kind of just went through a like a breakdown when I lost it. Like, I was like, dang, I ain't even a woman no more. I'm never going to find my husband. Like, I, it was over. I was like, well, either this dude that I'm having sex with is going to marry me or I'm going to be single for the rest of my life because I, I lost my virginity and it wasn't to my husband. Wow, that shows a... Uh a great pitfall and the teaching that you came under uh, growing up in the church, whether intentionally or unintentionally, the, the environment that it fostered, you said that your purity in regards to sex, that was part of your identity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even Melissa touches on it, how that good girl, mentality like all of that for me my purity uh my humbleness uh my favor from god all of that was tied into my virginity and so when it was gone i was kind of like looking at god like i don't even know where we stand now because this was the basis of my um ze my zealousness i think it was pride <clears throat> and i remember talking to one of the males that um uh I, one of the older males who was kind of like a father to me and he was like I'm not even gonna lie to you I'm kind of glad this happened because it kind of knocked you off your high horse and, mm. I was, and I was like he thought she was better than people because she was a yeah, virgin yeah of course I did of course I did even though I was still nasty the Lord works in mysterious ways huh? <laughs> Jesus ain't do that I did that but he will cause all things to work together for your good let's see what this comment says he is a uh, is it Lynesha Lanesha. Lanesha? Mm -hmm. I think the people who taught us things didn't know how to have honest conversations without utilizing fear tactics as well. That's true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about that more, but I think that is a huge part of the purity movement that Kevin and Melissa was talking about. I myself did not grow up in the church. I went to church. I wasn't a stranger to the church, but I didn't go, grow up in the church the same way like Takiya did, where she went to church every Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, and then sometimes Fridays, and then twice on Saturdays. Right. That wasn't my story. I grew up more so a holiday church goer. And then it wasn't until high school where I started actively going to church. So the purity movement isn't something I can necessarily speak on from an inside perspective. But I can tell you what everybody on the outside of the purity, 
purity movement sees of it. And yes, fear tactics are a great deal of motivation and the methodology for which people convince more specifically women and some men Mm -hmm. to stay pure. And that's what Kevin and Melissa was talking about, how the message got warped into the fact that if you gave away your virginity, that was a piece of your self-worth that was no longer valuable. And they even, uh, Melissa even goes to talk about a, uh, an example of when she was in church, the pastor chewed up a piece of bubble gum and said, that's what <laughs> a woman, <laughs> that's what a woman's like, or <laughs> not specifically. That's what a woman's like. That's not what he said specifically, but he said, okay. that's what you're like. Once you have sex, you're a chewed up piece of bubble gum and <laughs> nobody want that. Right. Horrible message. And of course, right. We understand the ultimate goal is to, is for people to maintain their virginity. Yeah. Maintaining mm-hmm. their virginity is something that is commanded by, commanded by us or commanded for us by God. Right. We are supposed to uh, stay abstinent until marriage. But the idea or the thought that once you lose your virginity, especially if it's before marriage, then a portion of your value is lost. That's not the case. And if you're growing up in an environment where you feel as though your value and your self-worth and identity is tied up in the fact that you are a virgin, then you have foundational beliefs that need to be dissected and reconstructed in a proper form because our identity and our worth is not in our virginity. Of course, it's in Christ, right? We are supposed to be, we are supposed to identify and put our worth and uh, self-belief in Christ. So if we're doing anything other than that, then that just shows that whatever message is trying to be conveyed, it's at the very least being conveyed improperly, mistakenly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the worst and most egregious end, it's intentionally missing the mark in some way, shape or form. And I think that's one of the biggest detractors from the purity movement, even though the ultimate goal of the purity movement is to do something good in the person's life who's ever on the receiving end of it. So I st- I'm on the uh, side of, yes, we are supposed to remain abstinent. We are supposed to wait until marriage to get uh, mm-hmm. to have sex and lose our virginity. But if it ever comes to a point where a person makes a mistake, it makes the wrong decision and they participate in premarital sex, that is not something that should wreck their identity at its core. <clears throat> and I think that's basically what you were saying. Yeah. And I think even with everything that the Mount did, that was great. I think um, to speak to what Lenasia said about fear tactics, I think fear tactics, uh, another reason why they come is because there is a lack of understanding of what it is. Honestly, we're even talking about um, as it relates to sex. I think a lot of us know the dangers of sex, but a lot of us also know the euphoria you get from sex. And it's very hard to sway a child, someone who hasn't even developed all parts of their brain from from something that is so powerful, unique and feels good. And so I think fear becomes the only thing that you have left. Cause it's like, yo, I'm trying to protect my child. I'm trying to protect the next generation. And so I need to get this message across to them. Like, like hell and brimstone, like don't do it. And I think they, everyone who taught us, everyone who taught me, I think uh, they had a good heart. It was coming from the right place. They were just ill-equipped to handle what it is that they were trying to teach me. And so I think as a woman who is married and who's gone through all of this stuff surrounding sex, I think I now have a good grip on even how to um, teach our children what sex is supposed to be and what that's supposed to be like without ever putting any fear in, in them at all. Like period. Cause it's really not, it's not necessary. There's a healthy fear, like a righteous type fear of like fearing God. And then there's a fear of if I do this, this will separate me permanently from God. Right. That's not what a total damnation. Yeah. (laughs) That's not now. Only if if you have sex, but if you a liar, yeah, good. you put emphasis on all of that. And and to be honest, those are behaviors that either start on the way to you having sex when you're not supposed to be or they come balled up in you trying to have sex. Because usually when you're trying to have sex and you're younger, you do got to lie. You do got to manipulate because you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing and you have to create ways to make sure that it happens. Right. Sin breeds more sin. Yeah. And then talking about the good parts of the purity movement, 
they did mention in the book about how the purity movement, ultim- uh, not ultimately, but the purity movement tried to get women more specifically, right? We're always talking about, not mm-hmm. always, but in these cases, a lot of the times these yes. conversations are more so directed to women. Mm-hmm. They're given in a broad statement, but for some reason, it always seems that women get the, <laughs> get the short end of the stick in these yeah. conversations. Mm-hmm. But it was, uh, it bred a sense of you're worth more than your body. Yeah. It, it, it told people that your value in a relationship is way greater With than. you a virgin. Uh, is way greater when you will yeah, that did say it, it, <laughs> as a byproduct it did if you a virgin believe, yeah your value <laughs> in a relationship is way greater when you were a virgin but it also stated that your body is worth more than just a quick thrill you know oh yeah your body is sacred yeah understand that this is a this is the value mm-hmm. that god has placed on your sexual purity in a sense of actually doing sex and having sex his way this is the value that god has placed on the act of sex and that is that is i think it's a better way to explain it understanding the value of someone understanding the value of the physical person Mm. also along with the spiritual emotional right understanding the value in all those aspects of a person because i think sometimes we get lost in the fact especially in today's age going on with this sexual revolution that's going on, right? <laughs> the uh, sexual freedom of expression that's clearly displayed in today's media. We need to, as Christians, continue to push the thought that sex is not bad, but we don't go to the opposite extreme, right? We had the purity movement and now the world is fighting back with, I could do whatever I want. It's my body, <laughs> my choice. I can do whatever I want with it, with whoever I want because I'm a woman. I'm free. I'm a man. I'm a dog. I can do what I want. And I think that is a clear response to the wrong argument or the wrong thing that came out of the purity movement, right? Because they're responding to a situation where someone is telling them, hey, you can't do this with your body because of X, Y, and Z. And ultimately, they believe that's a sense of control. It's a sense of oppression. They don't like the fact that there's restraints yeah. on something that they believe is theirs. And also, specifically in terms of women, the women out here these days, they don't like the fact that people stigmatize women for being sexually expressive premarital sex or any other acts for that nature more so than they do men. So in response to that, there are a lot of women these days who've completely gone off the rails and displayed characteristics or behaviors to show that, Hey, I don't care what you think. And I think that just goes to show you the failure of the purity movement Mm -hmm. because ultimately it sent the wrong message. In those cases, if people understood exactly why it was necessary to restrain from sex before marriage, then the response that we get today wouldn't be guided in the directions that they are, if that makes sense. I don't believe people will be fighting it back against control more so. Now they would just be openly, they will openly have to say, hey, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe God. I don't care what you're saying. That's why I want to do what I want to do. Not to try to use it as a, a platform for saying, hey, this is sexual freedom. Because there is sexual freedom in Christ. But of course. I, mean, I think that's the thing. We you we drove home the message of sex being sacred, uh, sex being enjoyable, sex being something you need to save till marriage. But we missed out on the part of the freedom that you get from being in a marriage and having that be the only place where you are enjoying a sexual relationship. Like there's so much freedom that when I live with my husband, I don't have to worry about the things I had to worry about in college. Like, are we going to get pregnant? Do we have condoms in the house? Like, are you going to give me an STD? Like all, all of these, there's so much freedom in our sex life, even to the point of, since I'm not sinning anymore, I can say, I don't like when you do that. Like, and I think sometimes, especially for me, what I learned was when I was in sin, it wasn't a lot of, exploration because it was like quick because it's like yo we said it hurry up get it over and now it's like okay well not only do we have time as in like more time to have sex but 
we've been together for four years. So we've had sex over a period of time. And so I can honestly say when she talks about, um, you know, just agency over her body and things like that, there were a lot of, I just now, I can say this. I just now got to the point where I can probably be more open with my husband and tell him what I like and what I don't like. And just now got to the place where I understand my body enough to be able to communicate what I like and what I don't like. Yep. And the purity movement had me in a box for a very long time because, um, and I think this is another thing as women, when you think about music, <clears throat> I've, I've sat in the car with my husband and he'll listen to all manner of evil. Let me put on some WAP. And he looking at me like, really? This is vulgar. This is what you're listening to? Aren't you just listening to something about somebody rubbing a penis on? Nah, I won't be. No, no. Yeah, because you there is this favorite song. You, you know, <laughs> there's this favorite song you have about somebody whining and grinding. And it's like it's only appropriate for a man to have preferences, even in his music, like a man can play something and ain't nobody looking at him like, dang, you nasty. Like, that's what you be doing. This, this, as my husband would say, this what you be on? Like, this is, that's. And so even with that, I found freedom. Now, of course you should guard your ear gates and stuff like that, but I'm married. So I can listen to that. And, and I understand whatever I'm married. So take that as you will. Uh, but <laughs> but I think uh, in, in reality, I've even had to find freedom in that area of my life where I thought like, oh, if somebody catch me listening to this, they gonna think I'm an unholy woman. Here's the thing. And, and to get into to preferences a little bit more, there were things that I liked that I thought only women who have you know, several partners like, or maybe like God has called sex to be gentle and nice and, and, you know, just this. And it's like, well, well, how do you make allowances for when I'm not, I don't want you to be gentle. Like, does that make me a, a, a harlot or, you know, what does that make me when I start expressing things? Makes you a sexual deviant. There we go. And that's, and, and <laughs> And that and that is, I think, kind of some of the messages we get that keeps us in a box as it relates to even our sex life with our spouse. Yeah, that's true. Now, with that said. There's also another portion of that that purity ideology and movement that was a shortfall, and that was the practicality of it. Mm. We're given. All these messaging, all this messaging about don't have sex. Yeah. And Kevin talks about in the book, his, his, uh, <laughs> his guidance on how to handle his sexual thoughts, because whether or not you having sex or not, doesn't mean that you're still not a sexual being. You're not going through puberty as right. a teenager. You're not starting to notice girls like the old people will say, you're not starting to notice boys. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with these thoughts? Because it's not going to go away. You don't pray, just take a cold shower. Yep. Kevin said, pray, <laughs> take a cold shower, pray again, read the Bible. <laughs> then after that's what you gotta do. And then he said, Cool, I did all that. And after that, all throughout that, I'm horny. Mm. And so what do you do? So it failed us in that way too, because we weren't given the necessary tools to actually Carry out the will of God. Let's be real. Who wants to pray when they're horny? Like, I, 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 when, when they're horny and, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but I'm saying we have to, again, think of more practical ways to give young people, because I remember there was an instance because I dated all through, before uh, I lost my virginity, I dated. And so I was in a very long relationship with someone and we were horny. So I was like, okay, pray. And he was looking at me like, are you stupid? Like, with this thing in my pants, you really asking me to pray right now? And to me, I'm like, yeah, pray it away. That makes perfect sense. But to him standing there looking at him and how his body was already responding, it made perfect sense why he was like, I'm not talking to God right now. And so what, what do you say to someone who's in that moment? We didn't have, but we didn't have tools for that. Right. We didn't have the tools. <laughs> so. And those tools start out simply as choosing your situations. Yeah. When you're in a dating, when you're in a dating relationship, that's the beauty of having a dating relationship while being guarded by parental supervision. Mm -hmm. 
you're not able to put yourself in certain situations. Yeah, exactly. So it starts out by removing yourself from environments and opportunities to sin, avoiding the very appearance of sin. Mm. And this is harder when you get uh, as an adult. Yeah, of course. Now you have way more freedom. Yeah. So in those situations, accountability partners are perfect ways to mitigate those issues. Yeah. Hey, if you're if you're dating someone, don't be going over each other's house. Mm. That's hard. Right? Avoid that. Hard. No, and that's hard because we ain't do that. That's why we got married. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody got time to be doing all that. I like you. You like me. We love God. Let's do this. Right. <laughs> 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 Stay in public, right? <laughs> Touch. How are you touching each other? Mm. Keep it Christian. What does that mean? <laughs> what is a Christian? You know, people say keep it How Christian, do Christians touch? Which means <laughs> that's just another way of saying don't be touching each other sexually. Keep your hands to yourself. Keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> Air hugs. But, but this is like really like this yeah. is what it this is what it takes. Yeah. And if and here's the thing. Know yourself. And I think this is the reason why, one of the reasons why I can confidently say we got married. (laughs) We knew ourselves. We were already in a position where we were actively in rebellion to God, but we knew we wanted to honor God. We also knew that we wanted to be married. There were so many things that lined up as far as uh, agreeing about our visions for life. And so we got married. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people just be making it harder for themselves and I'm not telling you just to go out here and get married so you can have sex I hope you heard that we and this is again the beauty of not having sex because we didn't jump into the bed with each other we actually knew each other and so a sex didn't come into our relationship until months after so we already had clear enough hearts to kind of hear the heart of the other person about what they wanted for life without all the mixingness of sex now when we added sex to our relationship we got chaotic exactly and that's and that's another thing <laughs> The reasons why you don't have sex before marriage, because sex, like we said, is that double-edged sword. It's a very powerful tool. And we can be living witnesses that sex mucks up things. No, like especially a lot. when you're not married. Yeah, and even when and even when you are. But at least when you're married, I believe there's spiritual significance. Yeah. And there's uh spiritual protection in the sense of you're in the will of God in that sense. So there are tools. That you can use to manage those sexual uh, experiences and sexual issues you're having within marriage. But if you're not married and you're having sex, the decision making process gets so much harder for a true Bible believing Christian. And then also the conviction. Like Dakia said, when she had had sex before marriage, she felt bad. And I felt the same exact way. And guess what? Newsflash. If you are a Christian and you have sex before marriage and you don't feel bad, you are not a Christian. <laughs> Dang, Ben. That's facts. Because the Holy Spirit did not convict you, which means it's not in you. This is just logic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. I'm not saying you're going to do it again. But some people. They don't even feel bad. Don't care. <laughs> I remember so many times feeling bad, but not. And I think this is this is any any type of repetitive habitual sin in your life creates this uh, this uh, gap between you and God because it makes you shameful to even try to get back in His presence because you know what you've been doing. Right. That's and that's evidence of having the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Because it's people out here don't care, <laughs> ain't thinking about it. When can we do it again? That was yeah. great. <laughs> and they ain't married to nobody. No, not a person. And so we, I think, um, that's, it's important on both sides, but I think I want to get to this point, this next point. We do not agree with, with what they said here, but I think it's important to talk about. Oh yeah. The, uh, the expert, the excerpt reads, we were also taught that masturbation was wrong, Mm. wrong, wrong, wrong. If you jack off, you're going to hell. But on the love hour, we've spoken to countless therapists and experts who teach that not only is it not wrong, it's an important part of your sex life. Masturbation is a building block, especially for women. Wrong. I, 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 these are Christians who wrote this. I, I. Now we must provide context. Uh, I believe it follows. See, I'm going to just give them the benefit of the doubt. But ultimately, I'll say this before we even. No, I, I mean, here's the thing. You spoke on it already and you said we're in this, this age where there's this sexual freedom. 
And a lot of people, this, this is why I want to say wrong because masturbation is a building block, especially for women. Masturbation is supposed to teach you about your body. The whole point of sex is intimacy that I learn my body with someone else, not ever myself. Because if I'm with myself or if I'm with somebody that's not my husband, I open up the door for the enemy because I am then inviting something or someone into my space, whether it's in my mind or an actual person that should not be in that moment. Now, this is why uh, I said I wanted to provide context, because I believe it's a little more nuanced than that. Now, while they didn't explicitly state it, which is why I'm ultimately going to say that that statement is wrong, because they needed to explicitly state it as Christians. If we're talking about masturbation within the confines of a marriage relationship, I say it depends on the situation. No, I, in the confines, what do you mean? I think you even need Why? to break that down further. See, here it goes. So what is, what is it? Can like, you masturbate by yourself? Let's just, let's just clear that up. It depends. What? Yes. Listen, what is it that you're, see? Why is masturbation wrong? First of all, you said it's because... Solo. It's it's solo and it's supposed to be a shared experience. I don't I don't believe that you're supposed to ever have any sort of euphoria, whatever, as it relates to sex without your partner. Okay. And I'm of the belief if you're in a situation where what if you're masturbating to your spouse? The thought of your no. spouse. No. No. You're in a situation. You like, should not be doing that. <laughs> because here's the thing. Where is that gonna lead you? It could be. It could lead you to your spouse. Who? 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 Okay. I mean, I, I. That's that's dangerous, and I don't see nowhere in the Bible where it say if I see in the Bible where it says yes, you should not go without sex for long, and that's but why you and your partner should keep coming back to each other. But I don't see nothing about no self exploration. No, oh, they on the way for a long trip. Uh, so you got to do what you got to do. I don't see that anywhere. So there's a lot of things in the Bible that aren't explicitly stated, but we formulate theology surrounding multiple instances of scripture. So to my response to that would be, where in the Bible does it say you can't explicitly masturbate? And when it talks about lust. Exactly. That's, Susie, now that's what you a man. You really going to sit there. You and here's the thing that's I just feel like that's dangerous because you're talking to right now, whoever, whoever's going to listen. This generation already has this unhealthy relationship with masturbation and porn. I don't I just I don't I don't ever think that's going to be a good idea because I feel like, OK, let's just say he is. He starts off thinking about his wife and then he remembers he has a phone. And he don't have to just do thoughts like that's that's what I'm saying, like. You got to remember how easy it is for the devil to get in in this area. I just think you're setting yourself up for failure. And that's where I will agree. <laughs> but I'm in a situation where I can't, uh, like I said, I believe there's nuance. I can't explicitly, I can't explicitly state something where I don't believe there's enough biblical evidence for me to say, hey, no. Now, what I will say is suggesting for most people, any people, yeah, I would avoid that too. I'm of the same mindset. At all costs. I'm of the same mindset. Mm -hmm. But in this instance, my ought with the statement that was brought forth was that they didn't even delineate whether we're talking about within or with outside of marriage. Yeah. And then also, if you're, with, if you're within your marriage relationship and you're having a, a shared sexual experience where masturbation is involved between yeah. you and your spouse mm -hmm. and that's, that's communicated. A, that's a whole nother. Do you, bruh? Sis, do it. Exactly. Now, <laughs> what if we have a situation where both the man and the wife understand these these uh, requirements and they're completely fine with either spouse doing that, given that the spouses can control themselves and their mind is in the right place? While you may. You, while you if may, you're I just feel like. If you're going to do that, your spouse needs to be present. Because. Yeah, I, yeah, that's mm, that, that's sticky. It's fair enough. I can definitely see the validity of a slippery soap. Or, argument. Uh, and this is why I'll tell you why you shouldn't be doing it. Anytime you, uh, uh, what is it? What's the the bet the best uh medical term or whatever? I don't want to be vulgar. Anytime you release, you are bonding to whatever it is you were thinking about but also whatever it is you were using. 
And that's what people don't talk about. So if I was using my hand, there becomes a certain itch that I have for my hand. It don't matter what I was thinking about. If I use a toy, everybody know, I'm pretty sure all the women know what a rose is. If I use that rose, not only am I being bonded to, let's just say I was thinking about my husband, my husband, but there's a bonding that's going on even with that toy. And, and why do I say a bonding? Because if you are able to release with your hand, a toy, whatever, you have now taught your body to respond to that particular thing in a certain way that I think your body, God only meant for your body to respond that way with your spouse. Understood. And by that logic, then it's completely off limits because I mean, that's what masturbation is. It's self-pleasure. So we understand the spouse isn't the one that's doing it. Right. So in those cases, by that logic, then that's off limits in the bedroom, which nothing's off limits in the bedroom, in a marriage. No. And, and, but that's, That's the difference. Who is present in that bedroom when it's taking place? And the Bible explicitly states that in the marriage bed, the marriage bed is only made for the husband and a wife. Yeah. And we're talking about the husband and a wife. Together. That's the distinction that he put together. Whatever we do together is fine. When I start doing stuff solo, that's when it's going to invite stuff in that shouldn't be there. And I think that is a place where we we miss it, <laughs> even as married people, mm-hmm. where we still think. And that's why Paul said, don't withhold for a long time because we need it. it, it it's, it's, it's even on the hierarchy of needs. You need it, but you need it with each other. That's that's the healthiest you, you're going to get in this sinful world with each other. Yep, most definitely. This is a perfect example Right. Of why people need to have these conversations. Yeah, because we, we don't the, even agree. Even though Takiya and I may not land completely on the same mark in this discussion, we both have the understanding that masturbation will not take place outside of the marriage bed with us together. Yeah. These are conversations that you and your spouse need to have. Yeah. You and your fiance need to have about sex. What are those expectations that you guys are going to have for your marriage bed? Because, again, you could be that person that's like, you fine with walking in, catching your husband or your wife, doing whatever to y'all videos. Hey, have at it. Yeah. When it, <laughs> comes, when it comes to situations of the marriage bed, that's when it really gets down to y'all husband too. and wife. Y'all too. That's it. And that's why these conversations need to be had. And we'll yep. get on to some of the practical tips that yeah. Kevin and Melissa gives about having those conversations. Yeah. But I think too, a, a piece that we haven't talked or we have talked about, but we've kind of skimmed over. I think it took us so long, even in our marriage to enjoy a healthy sex life because of history. And I think that's a, that's a place where a lot of people don't cover. You come into marriage and, and you'll ask questions like, well, how many people have you slept with? And, and people right. can give those answers like, OK, you know, I've had my body count is six or whatever. That's not my body count. But what we don't account for is the places. And this is mainly for men. The places our mind have been in our history and how that's going to affect our marriage. Yep. And that leads right into the next point. So the promise number two, which is uh, Kevin and Melissa uses three big promises that are not true. That but are the given. purity culture gave. Yep. Uh, that you're, this promise is you are guaranteed a healthy sex life after you say I do. I thought so. Yeah, that's not, that's not true. <laughs> that is simply I think I had lie. more problems with sex when I got married. And I think that's a testament to a lot of people because you are supposedly confined now whereas before you could do whatever you wanted with whomever you wanted but you just i think the thing with marriage is you just stood in front of a bunch of people and made a huge commitment yep to this one person for the rest of your life and so now not only do i just get to have sex with this one person which is great but whatever sexual history they have whatever sexual issues they have I have now committed to those. And I think a lot of people get married not knowing what they are committing to. Yes, indeed. The promise of purity culture that just because you're married, your sex life is going to automatically work is an empty one. You have to talk about it. Even though talking about sex is hard, the good news is the more you talk about sex, the easier it gets. Make it normal. Make it a regular part of the conversations you have with your spouse. Just like we were talking, just like we were saying. 
You got to talk about these things. Anything and everything surrounding sex, you must discuss with your spouse. Anything that comes up, because everything can potentially become an issue. Mm. Right? Like uh, Melissa was talking about turn-ons, turn-offs, right? And uh, this (laughs) excerpt reads, when we talk about trust here, we are not talking about fidelity. This isn't about a fear of being cheated on. This trust is about believing that the boundaries a person has established around sex and their body will be respected and honored. If one person tries to push those boundaries, it's going to feel like trespassing. But where there is trust, there is intimacy and sexual freedom. And that's the good stuff. That's where the fun is. So, yeah. so one of Melissa's uh, big things that she uh, proposed was the green, red, yellow. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is specifically talking about sexual acts. And things that are okay in the bedroom. Like we said, you must discuss these things with your spouse. And the, the method, methodology is simply green is, it's a go. That's what we're both okay mm-hmm. with. That's what we're, we're going to do. Yellow is, it's a maybe. Mm-hmm. Let me think about it. I'm open to it, but I'm not just yet comfortable yet. And red is, no. no. Don't even try. Don't ask. You do this, it's rape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, there is a such thing as rape in marriage. Yes, you can rape your spouse. Some people don't believe that, but that's what I'm going to We ain't going to get into that. Mm. Yeah, and ultimately this leads to uh, the foundation of this, this, this topic is this trust. And Tiki, how does trust play a part in the sexual relationship for you? I would say trust is one of those things that really liberated me. And I think we were just talking about it today when we went out for lunch. Uh, my ability to trust you with what it is that I actually desire didn't develop for a while. Um, And not just because of you, but also because of me and the barriers that I had. And so I think even, I think you cross different uh, thresholds of your sex life and and marriage as you trust more. And so I, I think we've just crossed a threshold in our sex life because I trust more. We both trust more where it's like, I'll ask Ben stuff over and over again now where it's like, all right, I'm cool with this. I'm cool with this tonight. I'd like to do this. You know, just, I, I wasn't like that before like at all. Yeah. I mean, same thing here. Uh, <laughs> the comfortability aspect, right? Yeah. I think that's, that's <laughs> a lot of what it has to do with too. Right. Yeah. Trust doesn't mean now I don't trust that. I trust that the person not going to try to cross some sort of boundary that's yeah. really going to mentally affect me because I feel like I got raped. Mm-hmm. No, that's not the type of trust I'm talking about. I'm talking about more so is, are you comfortable sharing your thoughts, opinions, and desires around sex? And you believe that they will be received well and the conversation will be productive. Yeah. Now, just because you want something doesn't mean your spouse will want the same thing. Yeah. Most of the time, it lines up. For us, anyway. I don't, yeah. I don't think we've ever had something where it's like, <laughs> the other person is like, I'm not doing that. Get away from me. Right, right. <laughs> so I don't know how it is for everybody's relationship, but we have been on a, being in agreement on a lot of the yeah. acts that partake that part uh, that happen in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. But for some people, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, Kevin and Melissa said that wasn't the case for no. them. No. But they put out a list, green, yellow, red, of all the acts, and they sorted them re- uh, respectively. Yeah. And for all the acts that they didn't agree on, they talked about them. Yeah. And too, I think comfortability, there was something that I think you kind of asked me to do in like the beginning of our marriage. And I was like, no, only hoes do that. Oh, that's a bad word. But anyway, that's literally what I thought. But now with my understanding of the gospel, it's like, okay. And I think I actually, you know, it's a bad word, but I'm glad I used that word because that's really what I thought of myself. Even though I was married, even though this was my husband coming to me, asking me for the, and, and I don't think Ben is not, he don't usually ask for stuff. He'll kind of just skirt around it where it's like, yeah, that was dope. Let's do All that right. again. All right. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it kind of happened in the moment, but I don't think that's something I'm going to be doing like again. Like, no, <laughs> like, right. but, so in but those cases, we need to sit down exactly. and tell her, Hey, is we doing this or no? <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, understanding that, that's how I felt about myself, even in a marriage. And even like even now to this day, after we do certain stuff, I have to remind myself like I'm married. Like this is. It's OK. It doesn't make you. And he and I think that's the thing, too. As a married woman, 
and I think Melissa kind of alluded to this, you kind of still want to stay pure, if you will, in your husband's eyes too. Because, you know, like I know my husband, he see women everywhere. And so you, I never want to taint my image in his eyes, not realizing if I do that, then that just means that he immature. That has nothing to do with me. Or, and I'm saying that, that he doesn't do that. But I'm saying that if you have a partner who does that to you, who holds things over your head, like, oh, yeah, I saw what you did last night. Yeah, that's immaturity. That's, that's, that's not even. <laughs> and I've, and I've, I've, I've talked to couples who've experienced this. So it's, those are things like, let's just say your wife or husband comes out of their comfort zone and they do something you ask them to do. You make fun of them. They're probably never going to do that again. So be as we are learning each other, trust is built where there is safety. And so you need to your your bedroom needs to be a safe space yes. for, for both partners, not just the man, because I think it's been very safe for a man all these years. And now women are coming into their own is like, well, no, this is going to be a safe space for me as well. Yes, both partners have the discussions, women. Oh. Don't be afraid to say your wants, needs, the green, yellows, and reds. I think that's a good, that's a good uh, mm. thing to go by. Um, that's one example. You know, other couples may have other examples to give, but we're yeah. just talking about the stuff that's presented inside the book. Yep. So, and their third promise, and I think this is the last promise of the chapter. Yeah. That's a, a faulty promise or it's a false promise. You will have a fairy tale marriage because you didn't ruin yourself by having multiple sexual partners. Yeah, that's not true either. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we 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 came into marriage with me having one partner, him having none um, previous to marriage. And with the first sign of an issue, I was like, God, this is a joke. Like. We try to do this thing the right way. This this should this should be a success story. And I realized very quickly that. That does not make you a success, a success story. What makes you a success story, success story is that you put in the work to be that. Yeah. Now, what I will say is the less sexual partners you have, I do believe that it will make your sexual experience in marriage easier to navigate. No, it won't. That's. Um, <laughs> I, say, I say that only because like like Kev said, and this is why I say I can kind of agree. I can I I felt where he was coming from when he said, you know, he he wasn't a virgin when he walked into the bedroom and it kind of put them in a place where at least one of them knew what was going on. Like well, and, and I will say this. <laughs> so in those cases, I mean, because going back to the slippery slope, I think no, I'm not telling y'all to have sex before marriage. I think, I mean, I that's think that's just objectively true because God ultimately wants us to be virgins for a reason. What? That it'll be easier? I mean, I mean, yeah, it'll be easier. We were just talking about all the issues that you bring oh, into yeah. your life when it comes to having premarital sex. So I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's go, like we're talking about fairy tale versus easier. Oh yeah. If yeah. both, if both people come into the marriage with 20 previous sexual partners, but, that's a lot of, more, that's a lot more baggage to unpack oh, yeah. than both people coming into the marriage with no partners. With no but, partners. No, but what I'm saying is I, I'm speaking to the fact that Kev admits that there is this pressure that if we are both walking into this room, because that's all the honeymoon is, is a room with a bed, walking into this room for the first time, neither one of us know what we're doing. And so we kind of come to marriage with this or we approach marriage with this. Well, either I'm going to know what I'm doing. Either it's going to be from porn or because I had sexual partners. Like I'm not just going to walk into this experience without knowing. And I think it takes away from the beauty of what God was trying to give us by letting us both be new in every way, in mind, heart, body and soul to what is about to take place. But I think a lot of us might be new body wise, but mine. So we didn't give in ourselves to a bunch of other stuff before we even get there. And that impacts the bedroom and the marriage. And I think that's, you know, the purity culture only focused on the sex aspect of marriage. There are so many other things that could cause a marriage to be bad. I mean, you got people out here who probably say they, they had the best sex of their life with somebody and they still divorced them because they were crazy. Yeah. That's a story for day. I'm talking about sex. The, I mean, no, but what I'm saying is sex is is built up to be this this 
this thing that fixes and heals and is the glue when in actuality it's it's sex is the most powerful when you already have that glue when you're already sticking together when you when you're already one and right. so i think a lot of people make sex as that thing that makes us one that yeah. is not the thing that makes us one it's that culmination exactly and so again that's why, that's why i like the uh, people say sex starts outside of the bedroom listen especially for a woman Free game for you guys. Yeah, what Melissa said and Takia, oh man, she made sure. I, oh yeah. I, uh, she said I intimacy is spelled T-I-M-E. I spell that right? Yeah, T-I-M-E. And T-A-L-K. And I was like, duh. <laughs> ben, come on. Listen. And Kevin said intimacy for me is spelled S-E-S. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. But th then again, I can agree with Kev too. He said, I'm on both sides. <laughs> like, switch head. Yeah. Boom, boom, Here's know, the thing. I, I, will, I will always tell, I tell my husband and I, and I think it in my head a lot. He, he just got blessed because a lot of wives I hear, they're like, um, I'm not giving it up. He always wanted blah, blah, blah. I never have that problem. We could be like screaming at each other. I don't care. I'm glad you mentioned that because <laughs> speaking of not giving it up, Melissa gave a good, uh, a good suggestion that really resonates with me mm. because I mean, I like it. It's like, it, it, it just makes the most sense in the world because they, and I'm just letting the cat out of the bag, vacation sex. Jesus. That hit different. Man, why? And this is what I'm saying. I always be trying to get hotels and stuff. Nah, but you want to, you got to afford vacation sex. We can afford it. <laughs> All right, then. Now, let me read this excerpt. <laughs> he excited about this. <laughs> I have a piece of advice. <laughs> Two simple words, in fact, that will help solve a variety of issues in the bedroom. Vacation sex. <laughs> There's just something about getting away from your house where the laundry basket is full and the dishwasher needs to be unloaded and the kids are right in the next room. That frees your mind for healthier, more relaxing, more fun sex. It doesn't have to be Hawaii or the Bahamas. It can be a little hotel the next town over. Tiny home. For me, it's all about detaching <laughs> from the stressors in your everyday life. <laughs> it's truly amazing what a change of scenery can do for your libido. Being on vacation is one of my most dependable accelerators. Mm, Jesus. Yeah, that, 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 uh, mm. I don't know what it is, but. <laughs> but even that too, home. knowing, I think, um. Deval and uh, Kadeem LSA, they're a big, they're popular on the internet, but they too were talking about how they've been married for a very long time. And for her, it was actually her birth control that was causing them to kind of have off sexual experiences. But the husband said he noticed how much freer she was and, and how much better everything was sex wise, like in a hotel room or on vacation. I don't know. Maybe it's just something in a woman's mind. That well, I mean, just, for me too, though. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you enjoy it. That's the that's the the caveat, I guess. Uh, but it's something about getting away and being uh, getting away, <clears throat> pumping and sweat. Uh, uh, Somebody told me this, sweat. and this is this is I think a big because <laughs> that's all he's gonna say all the time. If I let him, the big thing. Um, ah, uh, the I, it was something with the garden and sex in the garden, and and how kind of getting back to that whole keeping the freshness in your in your marriage whereas we of course we don't just walk around butt naked anymore like that's what they did in the garden i walk around butt naked <sighs> no you don't we have a one-year-old walking around the house you do not be walking around butt naked you be bucket naked what does why <laughs> <laughs> so as i was saying um Finding ways to keep it fresh in your marriage. And you might find that for you, it's not vacation sex. It's something else. Making space for that in your marriage. And I think my husband has become a little bit more lenient as it relates to the things that I might need in those areas where it's like, okay, if I might need a hotel room tonight for this. And of course, it's not happening. This happens once every blue moon. But when we get a hotel room, I do take advantage of it. <laughs> Sparks fly. What? <laughs> so yeah, I think. Uh, let's see. What was the last part? So of course they end with questions. We already answered the questions. Um, all the questions really had to do with was figuring out 
what turns you on, what turns you off, um, how you're feeling about just yourself and your body in those sexual experiences and um, ending with what are your emotions? What emotions are coming because of this conversation? I'm well, glad let's, they... Let's actually read the, oh, the check-in. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, so for people who want something to take away that they could go discuss with their spouse or their uh, significant other, relationship check-in. We suggest that you and your partner have regular sex check-ins. After you've read and taken in all the information in the previous pages, it may be a good idea to have a conversation together. Ask yourself and each other these questions. What are your stoplights? And in terms of stoplights, Melissa is talking about what are your turnoffs? Mm-hmm. Or no, 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 I'm sorry. Stoplights like actually if you like what are your no-goes? No. No, 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 no. Stoplights. Because we got stoplights, boundaries, and then we had the accelerators and brakes. Oh, okay. Yeah. My bad, my bad. My so bad. the stoplights was the, the green, yellow, uh, red. So listing out what's a go, what's a maybe, and what's a no. Mm-hmm. What are your boundaries? What are your accelerators and brakes? That's turn ons, turn offs. How are you feeling about your agency? That's your uh, ability to represent yourself in the bedroom. Do you feel like your spouse is taking advantage of you? Do you feel like your thoughts and opinions are heard? Is your spouse, you know, breaking those boundaries and continuously pressuring you on your stoplights, on your reds? How are you feeling in your body? And what emotions are all these questions eliciting for you? Have that conversation. Have those conversations. Takiya and I need to have those conversations. The couple next door need to have those conversations. Regularly. The couple down on the third floor need to have those conversations. Oh, and I think it's good to point out, too, they said this in the book. Um, the reason why they pointed out each one, so I think we talked about communication, um, expectations, and now sex. These are conversations that you need to have regularly because you go through different phases. Yeah, people and, evolve. And I, and I didn't think I realized that until I realized, okay, we got married. That was a phase. Then we, uh, I was pregnant. That was a phase. Then I had a child. That was a phase. Now we have a, a toddler walking around the house. That's another phase. And so uh, making sure that you are accommodating your spouse and checking in with your spouse, because there might be some places where the the, sp- the other spouse feels left out or like their needs are not being met in this new phase or season of your life. And you've got to find ways as a couple to make sure that those needs are getting met. That's why these conversations need to be had regularly. Regularly. Oh, this was fun. I enjoyed spending my afternoon with you and whoever yep. checked in. I enjoy spending my afternoon with the zero people watching. Somebody was watching. Nah, they was watching. <laughs> but once again, if you're listening on Facebook, nobody is right now. So hopefully they already did it. But make sure you like the uh, <laughs> <laughs> make sure you like the uh, stream if you like what you heard. Like the stream if you dislike what you heard. Like the stream if you don't care about what you heard. Whatever you do, just make sure you like in the stream. And share the stream, please. Comment any anytime. Feel free to come up here and comment on what you'd like us to talk about. Yep. And uh, if you're not already following the Atkins Family podcast page, please do so. It's on Facebook. And if you're listening or if you're listening live and you would like to know where to find our podcast recordings, of course, you can find them on Facebook. But we're also available on all audio streaming platforms, Spotify. Apple, your favorite streaming platform, whatever it is, you could go there. And you can also find us on Google. Just type in the Atkins Family Podcast. Our anchor page will pop up. Our podcast website will pop up. Once again, we thank you for listening. And if you are a regular listener, this is 54th episode, so I'm pretty sure you probably got at least one person out there. This, oh wait, nope, messed it up. Let me try it again. Okay, so (laughs) with that said, I was your host, Benjamin Atkins. And I was accompanied by my lovely wife, Takia Atkins. And this was the Atkins Family Podcast. We'll see you next time, (laughs) folks.